This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey guys, this is Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Special Edition webinar podcast here. I've been having a lot of, you know, I always have calls with you guys. At this point, I probably had about over a thousand investor calls that you guys can still sign up for those free. Um, just just go to the networking tab on the website and sign up for a, a time to chat with me. I usually set it up when I'm heading off to work or coming home or during lunch times. You know, sometimes I'll have three calls a day and Sometimes I'll all be with a guy named Dave, who is an engineer. I had that a couple of times. You know, I always try and fi- follow the path of you guys. And I started it with Turnkey Rentals, you know, working the day job. And it, it seems like a lot of you guys have been following that same pathway. It's been my unscientific study here that most people, you graduate from the Turnkey Rental, obviously, because it's just not smart buying retail and above. But it seems to me most people will gravitate towards the same three things, which are syndications, the multifamily apartments, and other, other types of larger deals as a limited partner, uh, which is kind of what I do. Or um, you know, some people will stay in their comfort zone doing the birth strategy with the single family homes, even though it's a remote uh, investor thing. Um, and just because they like to do that. But the third route is what we're going to talk about today, which is the non-performing notes and note space. Um, I don't have too much experience with this, but um, you know that's why we're going to, have to talk to George about it today. How's it going, George? Hey, how's it going, Lang? Thanks yes. for having me on again. Yeah, so we had you back on December 20th, 2016, where you told us about your uh, gut-wrenching story and how you went $28 million in the hole. And I still listen to that one from time to time. It was pretty emotional, I feel like, and, you know, taking you back to that mindset. Yeah, it was. No, it was a tough time. And uh, it was, um, yeah, as I revisit, you know, anytime I go back there, it's a little bit tough. You know, it was yeah. tough on, it hits from all sides, financial, certainly, but that, that triggers emotional family uh, relationship challenges that all go along with that when when finances are good it tends to kind of fill in a lot of gaps but when they're dry and it's rough you know a lot of those gaps get exposed and it was a it was a tough time uh so you know i try to always look for for the good in things uh and you know i try to learn from your loss and so that was a big the biggest loss of my life by far and away and the most trying period but you know i think it it made me good at buying distressed notes. I think it gave me an advantage in that I've been on the other side of this. People bought notes that I was the debtor on at big discounts and then tried to collect money from me. So I know when we buy a pool of a hundred or a thousand notes and we go to those homeowners, I know how they feel. And, and uh, I've tried to devise strategies that are, can create, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but win-win solutions for the investor and the homeowner. But really, a consensual solution without involving attorneys is always going to result in better returns for everybody. And that's what I preach that all the time. Try to make a consensual solution and be open to whatever that homeowner or that borrower wants. Be ready for it. And, uh, and, and they tell you what, what they want. Don't tell them what they should do. All right. All right. And I, I know a lot of the investors that have kind of, kind of gone into the AHP fund, have kind of always said, you know, well, you know, it is seems like it's like doing a good thing for the folks. And 
it, and you know, you're not the guy calling these people anymore. You've got staff, but I think that's important. It seems like as an entrepreneur, the hardest part is finding good people to work with and to get them to see that vision of, Hey, Hey man, I used to, <laughs> I owed a lot of money and people cut me and break. Let's kind of, you know, turn the tables and, and, and do the same for these people. So. No, that's a total, it's a huge challenge. Um, you know, I'm not good at it. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have challenges. Uh, they're great visionaries. They can like, hey, let's do this. And they kind of fulfill the vision. But when it becomes time to scale that vision big and you have to add layers of employees and management, for me, that's been a real struggle. And uh, it's something that, um, you know, just in the last six months, I said, hey, I'm just not that good at it. I end up doing a lot of work, too much work myself. I don't delegate well. And uh, it ends up um, being constraining the growth of the company. So actually, I've, you know, I'm bringing in new management uh, to kind of take over some of the, le the leadership of the company. Um, and then I'll go to more high level. But I, the day to day, I, I just, I'm great at doing it myself. But building this into a huge organization like we want to do, I, I need some help than people that are better than me at doing that part of it. Right, right. So if you guys don't know what the AHP fund racket we're all talking about all the time, you guys can go uh, May of last year, we recorded a non-performing notes with the AHP fund webinar, which is found on the website, but um, it's probably a little easier if you go to the, right to my YouTube channel and search for it there. But I'll link up both George's first interview and the, uh, the, the webinar in the show notes here. You know, we're going to talk about the Note Buyer Bootcamp for a lot of you guys who are interested in getting into this space. George assured me it's not going to be one of those pitch fest things. It's going to be everything that you need or it's going to be right here. First, George, like what is a performing note and a non-performing note? Just so we can get everybody up to speed before we get, get going. I'll, I'll give you a personal definition. So before 2004, I actually got a loan from a bank and it was secured by a home or an apartment building or some kind of real estate. And if I paid it on time, that's a performing note. The, the terms are as agreed. I agree to make you 30 years worth of payments at $1,000 a month, I pay. Now once I was, had my financial struggles, I stopped, I was unable to continue to pay. So all the mortgages I owned on dozens of properties all of a sudden became non-performing mortgages. And these were simply that I was unable to pay the amounts that were due based on the terms of the note. And those notes, you know, now there's, it's easy when it's a performing note and there's a track history of that borrower making payments for years. Okay, well that's worth, it's easier to quantify what that's worth. But once it becomes non-performing, it really becomes a challenge uh, to figure out, okay, well the seller wants to get rid of it. You know, the guy owes a million dollars and the property's worth, whatever the property's worth. And you know, what, what should we pay? And what can we ultimately recover? Are we gonna get money from the person who signed the note? and or are we gonna get money from, the, from selling the collateral or working out some kind of modification? And those are all the, uh, that's what happens. And there's millions of non-performing mortgages across our country and the majority of them are overhang from the housing crisis of 2007 uh, and eight. And the, um, but there's now, you know, as the, the economy is still arguably weak, uh, and at least a lot of families continue to struggle, millions of families. And so even people who have bought homes the last four or five years, some of those are slipping into default. And uh, I mean, there's always people, for whatever reason, that run into trouble. So that's the opportunity 
And where I see a big opportunity for your audience is today, we're st in 2018, we're still dealing with the overhang of 10 years ago. Millions of notes from there are still unresolved. Plus the families over the last several years who've taken out mortgages, whatever reason, job loss, divorce, death in a family, fall into default. And then there's a, a, an upcoming downturn, whether it's tomorrow or six months or a year or two years. At some point, this real estate cycle has been on and up for a long time. It goes the other direction. And now we're dealing with a whole new millions of, of non-performing notes. So there's, there's a big opportunity. I think now is a time for to equip investors with here are the tools to do it, uh, you know, here's what to look for and learn it today when the opportunity's modest, but be ready when this downturn happens, you know, that's when it's, it's there's huge opportunities and that's where the mass, there's massive wealth transfers uh, that go from banks to individual investors, you know, such as ourselves. Right. So is there some kind of like a definition, like 30 days late, 60 days late that makes it turn I mean, performing or? 30 days is, is a delinquent mortgage. So it's not, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's subperforming, I suppose. I mean, I'm not sure where you simply say it's non-performing, uh, but it's probably, and I, I, it's funny, I don't know the exact answer to that, but whether it's 90 or 180 days, I mean, the reality is we buy mortgages on average that are more than two years delinquent. So there's, um, and many of them are six, seven, eight years delinquent. So there's a lot of really like, almost dead, I mean, non-performing mortgages out there and you're trying to breathe life back into them or, or get them disposed of. Right, right. And I know a lot of people are kind of playing around with the peer-to-peer -peer lending. You know, this is pretty much right up your alley. I mean, this is a lot of spreadsheets and trying to assign a value to these unassignable valued deals. Yeah, it's behind a desk. I mean, this is, uh, you're not, we do it nationwide and, and uh, you know, certainly you get the best deals if you're open to a wide geographic area and by levering off of local real estate agents that give you back uh, their opinions of value, broker, broker price opinions, uh, title work, and desk spreadsheets, that's how you do your analysis. And if you can, you know, buy it at a certain amount and then resolve it with a homeowner at a greater amount, that is a, but still something that's sharing some of that discount with them. That's you know the ideal resolution. In fact, the best means to help a struggling homeowner in this country is to buy their mortgage at a discount. If someone were to buy a whole bunch of notes, like a thousand notes, you know, no one investor could do this. But I guess what would be the average returns percentage-wise for the performing side and non-performing side that you know, you, that you I mean, see? If you bought a, a thousand performing loans, you're buying a thousand performing first mortgages, you're looking at something in the single digits. I mean, maybe uh, the mid to high single digits, depending on the quality of the perceived quality of the, um, the paper. Uh, but once you get into the non-performing space, you're definitely getting in the teens, the twenties, the thirties. Uh, I mean, all those are very achievable, sometimes even higher, uh, depending on what you're buying. I mean, here's, so the, the bigger hedge funds, the bigger investors, they'll go after, there's a lot of money, just like in real estate, there's a lot of cheap money in the space right now. And they'll go after the higher value loan. So let's say mortgages secured by homes with values over a hundred thousand, um, and especially over 150, there's gonna be a lot of competition on those homes and they on those loans secured by the, those homes. And but where there's opportunity is when you kind of fall out of that range. When you're buying loans secured by homes with values of under 75 or 50, 
then there's really a lot less competition. And as a result, the, um, the spreads get a lot bigger. You can buy much bigger discounts. And so you buy those. You can also buy commercial uh, loans secured by smaller balance commercial properties. Those sometimes get thrown in these, uh, in these pools. Uh, I haven't seen much multifamily. They're out there, but I haven't seen that much. But certainly we've got in you know, dairy farms, rice farms, re small retail strip malls, uh, warehouses, stuff like that. And those are, it's unknown what, if you were to get it back, you know, what can you sell it for? It's not a very easy to easily definable value. It's not that necessarily that liquid. So the, as a result, you can buy them pretty big discounts. You know, our focus is the homes, but sometimes a bank will say, hey, here's a hundred loans and there's eight commercial in there. You got to take the whole thing to get the best price. And so we end up with some commercial in there too. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, in single family homes, obviously the A-class rentals, you know, not really where the returns are. Yeah. There. You know, you definitely want to stay away from the war zone D-class properties, even the low C-class, because there's just too much headaches there. Is it, is it kind of the same thing? Like there's a sweet spot in the middle for these non-performing loans? I mean, the best returns are always going to be on the high, most highly distressed. So those are going to be, as you just described, the D and the C uh, neighborhoods. Those are where the banks are looking and saying, oh my God, I mean, take it and we'll buy <laughs> literally we'll buy like a pool of 500 loans and there'll be a hundred or more loans in there that are priced at one dollar and those are because they're just in crazy neighborhoods um and i shouldn't say that strike that it's not a crazy neighborhood they're perceived as crazy neighborhoods they're simply struggling neighborhoods these are communities that were hit incredibly hard in the um in the housing crisis and you know they're still areas in this country, and I'm thinking very close to here, Southside Chicago, East Cleveland, um, you know, throughout the Midwest, there's going to be towns where there's a, a neighborhood or a community where in many cases, half the homes are vacant, and many of those homes have been demolished. And so the remaining homeowners are probably bought the home for $100,000, or they owe 100,000, the home's only worth 50 or 40 or 30 or 20. If they were able to pay, maybe they're still paying some of them. Others have lost their job, reduction in income, all kinds of reasons that they've been unable to pay. And so those are the loans that oftentimes we'll end up buying. And they owe 100, the home's worth 20. And we're going in and we probably bought the loan for a few grand, uh, if that. And now we're going in there and saying, hey, if you want to stay, your old payment was 800, we're going to drop it to 250 or something like that. And you haven't paid in four years. You owe twenty thousand, but give us two thousand. We'll forgive the difference. Uh, those are those are real solutions because now they say, oh, now I only owe twenty thousand. I'm gonna have my house home paid off. Uh, you owe two hundred fifty dollars a month. It's cheaper than rent, and so you're delivering real solutions to those families in these struggling neighborhoods. Hopefully, if there was enough of that uh, being done, then some of these neighborhoods may see some of the homeowners will stay in there because otherwise. The homes get foreclosed and then families get kicked out. Some investor will buy it. And because there's not much financing to buy homes in the neighborhood, and many people don't are looking to buy in other neighborhoods, they end up being bought as rentals. And it just, the neighborhood is, loses a lot of its character and history, you know, what, what's left of it, which is in the form of long-term residents. And now you get renters a more transient population. Just as always, you know, when you buy single family rentals, you prefer to have a lot of owner occupants near you, not a lot of other rentals. Uh, so it's the same thing in these neighborhoods and you'd want to, um, so we're trying to keep those homeowners wherever possible to keep them in their homes. Teach other people to do and the opportunity is endless. It's not something 
that we, we'd be naive to say, well, AHP is going to buy all the non-performing notes in the country. It's, ne it's never going to happen. We need to teach others how to do it. The strategies that we've developed, share those with other people, and, uh, and hopefully they can do the same thing, make money, and also uh, socially um, benefit the country. I think four or five years ago, I went to one of those weekend boot camps where I paid, I don't know, like 50 or $200 to go and brought my baseball gloves so I could, you know, it was a, definitely a pitch fest. Ah. One of those things. So, you know, I, I learned. That is not what this is. So I went to, but like the biggest thing in my head was like, okay, so I get how this works and how do I get the notes, right? So maybe take us back to, you know, you went out of uh, multifamily apartment investing, kind of had to start from scratch. What was, how did you build this from square one from there? Yeah, so, you know, I'd lost everything. It was $26 million in debt and I was kind of looking to rebuild myself. You know, what do I do? What where do I direct my energies? And I, and I know, you know, it was right about the time the housing crisis was starting. And I was saying, hey, all these families are going through the same thing that I did. I'm going to create a nonprofit that's going to help these families negotiate settlements with their creditors and stay in their homes. And that's what we did. We started a nonprofit. We had extraordinary challenges working with the servicers and the banks. Uh, we have, I mean, this is where the vision started. The home, we watch a, a servicer like Auckland would we give them an application. We give them a proposal to resolve the loan and keeping the family in their homes. And they would. It would take months, if not a year or two, to get an answer. And then the answer would be, Oh no, we're not going to do it. And let's say the homeowner owed a hundred. The house was worth fifty, and they were more or less taking care of the home. But Aquin would say, No, you can't stay in the home. We're going to foreclose. A year later, they spent a bunch of money. They foreclosed, and then they evicted the family, kicked them out. And the home would get vandalized, and then they'd sell it for $25,000. And so we'd look at this and say, hey, this is value destruction. I mean, they're destroyed. This family is being kicked out. The value of the home was fifty, dollars and now it's twenty-five. dollars I mean, every, everybody's losing here. So how do we do this better? So our, our vision was to get rid of the servicers and the banks and just buy the loans ourselves and do whatever we want with them. And then if the family wanted to stay, that's what we wanted to do. And that was where we started. It's grown from there. It was a very opaque business. Once we decided to buy loans, it was like, we don't call Aquin or Bank of America or Wells Fargo and say, hey, you know, we want to buy this Mary Jones loan or we want to just buy your loans. There's no real direct path to doing that. And so we, I was fortunate. I, I mean, I couldn't figure it out. It, for several months, we were going around, how do we buy these loans? And and, you know, we'd see stuff on the internet, maybe like the course you went to, but none of it seemed really, it seemed like they were selling products more than actually doing it. And I wanted to find someone who was really doing it to, to show me the ropes. And I read an article online about some, um, Bank of America bought Wilshire Servicing and their, their CEO of Wilshire Servicing was now out of work. I contacted him on LinkedIn and said, hey, I want to, we want to buy mortgages. Can you help me? And we made a deal. Uh, it's funny, but he said, hey, wire me $4,000 and come to New York and I'll spend a whole day with you and I'll introduce you to everybody I know. And that's exactly what happened. We went to Bank of America, we went to a bunch of hedge funds, we went to Bank of Popular, and all of a sudden, a couple months later, I was buying notes from those people he introduced me to and that's where it started. And once you're kind of in the club, now people kind of know to call you or, or you have a track history of doing deals and uh, but that's where it started so it wasn't it, it wasn't a straightforward path at all but once we're in within six months we were buying from some of the biggest banks in the country 
uh, which is in retrospect is remarkable. But at that time, this was 2011, there just were not that many buyers. And so even if we had not relatively small amounts of money, like a million or a million and a half, there was, they were willing to do business with us. And the funny thing is Citibank was doing business with us back then, and now they won't. And there's not, nothing against us, but they want to do trades of like 100 million, which, you know, we're just not that big. So what they do is they trade the 100 million to a big hedge fund, which then will take out this lower, the lower value stuff and then resell it to us. I expect next downturn, City will start selling to us directly again. So what I want to show people is, so they don't have to contact people on LinkedIn to- um, Yeah, they say you got to get on these like LinkedIn groups and say, hey, yeah. I want to buy these notes. And it's like, okay, I don't see that really working. No, <laughs> it's that doesn't. So what you're going to do, so this, a lot of the sellers that we currently work with are going to be a no buyer bootcamp and including what a billion dollar hedge fund, a multi-billion dollar hedge fund, and now they own the smaller hedge funds and, and brokers and whatnot that we regularly buy from. So they'll be in the room and the goal is to simply get their business card and tell them what you're looking for. And maybe they, maybe some of them do with the brokers do like regular email lists when they have something available and then you start getting it. And at the event, we're actually going to have some loans that have already been bid on by other bidders, and we're going to analyze how they bid on them, and then also give the people, the attendees at the boot camp, the opportunity to buy them at the same price as someone else bid. So they know they're not overpaying or anything like that. I don't want people to, when you first get into this, it would be easy, especially somebody say, hey, this is a great deal, and maybe you're not really sure if it's a great deal. So I want to show, hey, other buyers who are experienced have bid this amount. So if you want to buy it, you're, that's, we want you to pay, you know, here's, here's what you can buy it for. You can outbid whoever had already bid it. And because the goal is we're doing this one time, one time only, really, we're never going to do this again. Uh, and what I want to do is um, build clients for AHP service. We're becoming a servicer. And if they make money on their first note or first few notes, then chances are they're going to continue to buy it. If they buy one, they overpay, they lose money. That's the end. So I'm not. I'm looking for people to set people up to succeed and become long-term clients of AHP servicing because I'm hoping some of them may just buy a couple of notes a year or ten notes a year. Others may say, "Hey, this I could really make a business out of this and think of different angles that we haven't even thought about that or have different relationships and maybe they blow up into becoming big big funds." But ideally, we want to simply be their servicer. When you guys first started, you guys were calling these people, and you were literally on the phones, right? That was <laughs> so we didn't know any better. So this was 2011. We bought our first loans. They come in and we would call the people and say, Hey, we just bought your loan. We want to make a deal. And we'd be making deals. It was really simple. Um, and then people said, wait, you can't do that. You can't do that. You have to have a servicer. And I was like, Oh, um, and so then we had to, so then we had to stop calling the homeowners because the vast majority of the States in the country require that, the mortgage holder, that the homeowners only talk to a mortgage, a licensed mortgage servicer. Uh, and Not to say that it doesn't happen, right? I mean, a lot of guys who buy notes, they... Yeah, it's certainly, taking, it's certainly taking a risk. I'll tell you, that homeowner gets an attorney and says, you know, you didn't do a mini Miranda, like you're supposed to, um, you know, say any, any information I gather is going to be used to collect, uh, collect a debt or whatever the verbiage is. You have to say that. And you have to identify that it's the proper person you're talking to. So there's a lot of things. And if you don't do that, most of the time, never becomes an issue. But a, an attorney, someone who goes to an attorney because they get upset with you because you're trying to foreclose, 
Now, wait, they called you direct? I mean, that would turn into major leverage on their part, which would um, create some a compromised position. So you really, in the end, you want to do it right. I mean, maybe there's short-term gain in calling. We, were, we just didn't know. I mean, we didn't know better at the very beginning. Um, but as you know better, you say you have to go through servicers, but that's created a challenge for us because these mortgage servicers, when we first started, that was part of the problem. You know, the mortgage servicers, you know, we tell our servicers that if a homeowner wants a mod, then we don't want their tax returns, we don't want their bank statements, we don't want their um, a hardship letter saying why they fell behind. We just want to make a deal for them to start paying. And here's, here's the terms. Uh, and the terms will be really uh, attractive. And they will, um, many a times, those servicers, if they, the homeowners will call and we'll see the notes. Yeah, homeowner called and said they wanted to do a mod. And so I told them that they could, uh, they need to send in their bank statements. You know, we don't need their bank statements or tax returns. And so with our new servicer, you know, where most of our mods are going to be no doc mods. I mean, think about this. These people, in most cases, fell behind or started having trouble in 2007, 8, 9. Now it is seven, eight, nine years later. And they're still in trouble. So they've probably already gone that route. They've probably already gone to Auckland and Bank of America, given their tax returns. So if you start saying, give me your tax returns, you're thinking, I've already done this. It didn't work out. I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna mess with it. But you can just say, hey, if you want to do a mod, your payments 800 will drop it to 500. You owe 20,000 delinquency, we'll drop it to 2,000. And you're just saying, this is approved. All you have to do is agree to it. We're gonna send you the documents and we're done. And uh, that's it sounds like really simple and that's what all servicers should do but they don't and that's what we're going to do we're going to make it very simple they bet on themselves because they're going to put some money down uh which you know goes to the investor uh and if they don't want to they want to say then we'll give you cash you know we want to give them a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars for dina lou but it's really whatever they want to do and so that's why we we created a servicer which launches in two weeks uh to start servicing these for us and then for others Right. You know, it, it is this very similar to like the uh, rental property space where, you know, I always say go off of referrals for property management. Um, uh -huh. Unfortunately, the vast majority of landlords out there, mom, pa's are kind of just going to the big brokerage houses like Auckland would be the equivalent for you guys. Yeah. And, you know, like you get the guys who don't, who can't sell houses managing your property. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have all these, you have all these bad on landlord stories, I, I feel. Absolutely. But essentially, you guys are the pros at this. You guys have the, the new age. Work with them on a personal level. Yeah, it is very much a personal relationship. We really try to make this something that can, can result in, in real solutions as opposed to just going through the motions and, and uh, not really getting anywhere in many cases. Right, right. And what, what does a normal like servicer usually charge? It's very kind of similar to the cut that the property management gets. Yeah, I mean, so servicers, many a times, I mean, we probably pay anywhere from 40 to $100 per month per loan for a servicer right now. Uh, so our goal is not to be the cheapest. There's other, there's companies out there, hey, you know, we'll charge cheaper, we'll do $35 and $30. Um, but that's not the point. The point is to get resolution. So if I pay you $30 a month or $40 a month, and in a year, this family has, there's no resolution and that's a waste. I want to almost like SWAT. And that's what I envision. That's what our servicer is going to be. We get a loan in. We're trying to get to resolution as fast as possible. I don't really care about the monthly fee. And let's say it's $100. So we're right at the top end. So we're not trying to compete on pricing. We're trying to compete on service. 
So we maybe we're at 100 bucks, and then we'll we'll charge a success fee, which is pretty common. If we get a mod, if we get a Dinalu, we charge maybe a thousand dollars. And so we're hoping that someone brings us along to service, and we're in and out in 30 days or 90 days or, or something fast, not two or three years going through foreclosure and, and wasting everyone's time and money. Um, it's much cheaper to to devote the to devote the resources to getting solutions uh, fast versus just dragging it out. And, and then you end up spending much more money on insurance. Has there been any uh, discussion or about changing the payment scheme or the payment mechanism for this, you guys as a servicer to align the investor a little bit more? Like, you know, like for property management, the late fee, for example, I split it with them 50-50. Um, you know, it does them no good, or it actually helps them when they're late, right? So I'm like, what the heck, right? We have to be aligned with that. Exactly. But the investor wants these notes to get performing, which I guess is the success fee, but is there any like different kinds of uh, payment schemes that you guys have kind of tinkered around with or thoughts there? No, I mean, definitely the goal is to align our interests, uh, but the success fee is to get a resolution. And then also we're, we're going to build in, I mean, this happens with us right now. A servicer will get a modification. The homeowner makes the first payment and then and they get a success fee and then nothing happens. They, then they, they fall behind right again, right right away. What good is that? Didn't do us any, anybody any good. Um, and we paid a success fee and we didn't even get enough money on the payment to pay the success fee. So what we're going to do is something, we don't have it exactly right, but I, I think to the extent the homeowner does not pay in the first year, uh, anytime in the first year, they don't, they don't um, at the end of a year, maybe if they haven't made, at least 10 payments, we're going to refund a, a pro rata amount of that success fee. If they make no payments, they get it all back. If they make five payments, they get half of it back. Something like that. Because otherwise, it, it's, it's done no one any good. And, uh, you know, they can go around, hey, we did all these mods, but none of them are paying. That's not, not any good. And they have to pay long term. So whoever's on the front line in terms of our um, loan resolution uh, team, they want to work with that homeowner, get it modded, but then be on the phone with them every month to make sure that, uh, hey, you know, your payment's coming up. Hey, you know, do you want to set up that pay by ACH? You want, to, you, you want to set the homeowners up for success and get them in the habit of paying on time. And because the same thing happens. So all of a sudden, you know, great mod happens. They don't pay for six months. Now they're, you know, two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 in arrears. And now they're, instead of coming up with a, $500 payment. Now you're trying to get them to come up with $3,000. The same thing with a rental property. As soon as they get the further and further they get behind, they use that money for other expenses. They don't, now you have to do a pay, another payment plan to get them caught up. It's you, you need to, if a family is struggling, you need to just be the one that's, that's constantly there to, um, to make sure that your payments are priority. All right. So it's in and you're, and you're trying to create this whole ecosystem, this umbrella where once you get these note, these non-performing notes back to performing, is there a way to, that the investor can sell them? And Absolutely. So two things happen once they start paying. So the fee drop, you know, monthly fee would then go to like $30 because it's a lot easier to service a loan that's paying. But what we do and what I encourage other investors to do, our clients, uh, is after a homeowner has paid on time for six months or on time for a year, the value of that loan has gone way up. It's, it's um, stabilized at that point. It's stabilized. It's almost like you were mentioned turnkey rentals. It's now a turnkey loan. And you can sell it uh, and say, hey, this family's back on their feet. They're making regular payments. You can predict what the outcome is much more readily. 
And as a result, you can sell it for a lot more. We sell lots of those to institutional buyers, but also sometimes to retail buyers as well, uh, because there's such a demand and they're willing to take, you know, we talked at the outset about, you know, non-performing, looking for double digit yields, sometimes 20s and 30s, performing at, you know, in the single digits. So you can sell these singles or very low teens and you're getting that spread. You bought it at uh, pricing to make a 25% return. And, you know, now you're selling it to somebody who's willing to get a 8% return or 10% return or 12% return. Um, that is something where you're capturing um, that, um, those gains. Right. It's just definitely a lot more cleaner than like apartments. You need what, like a few years of these tax returns to show that's been stabilized a lot of times the seller. Agreed. Yeah, it's definitely become a year. When we first started, it was a year. They have to make all their payments on time for a year. But as it's become more competitive, uh, definitely people, hey, they paid six months. I'm going to pay you a significantly higher price than what you pay on your as non-performing. Yeah, let's talk about the format of this uh, this two-day workshop you're having. They're going to be all in a room with these guys who can they can possibly network with and buy the notes from, get on their list. That's one of the reasons why I'm going to. I mean, I'd like to pick up one of these... Uh, for not these performing apartment loans and hopefully it can get to non-performing. That's when I can take, take over it. <laughs> yeah, definitely by non I mean, by the non-performing, uh, but yeah, there's, there's always some apartments. I mean, again, we haven't seen many lately in the downturn. You'll probably see scores of them. I mean, there'll be a lot of them. Those are, and there's still a lot of overhang from the last go round. And a lot of these, you know, were 10 year loans. I'm sure some of them are coming up soon. They haven't already come up. You'll have the note sellers in the room we buy from. You'll have vendors, people that do BPOs, people that, that we used to do BPOs, people that we used to do title, people that we used to knock on people's doors. You know, as a servicer, you call, send letters, but ultimately if you want someone going on the door, you have to have someone with a license. Uh, and so we use a firm and they'll be there and they will literally knock on the door three times and the price is, it's, on, it's $75, I think, and they'll deliver a letter. Definitely a good service, but if, you've, if they don't respond to the phone calls, they don't respond to the letters, the next thing is door knock. As an example, uh, there'll be other people who, you buy a loan, there's title issues. There's a company that cures those title issues. Uh, those are the types of services. Basically, it's all the people that we use. Uh, we want people to make relationships, get comfortable with them, have these people learn, uh, share their knowledge and expertise. No one's looking to sell. There's no big event after this. This is the event. You know, this is basically, I'm transitioning, handing that over the management team. So in many cases, there's new employees, new management that, I, that are coming to the event so they can learn how we do it. Many of them have come from much bigger servicers that do kind of still use an older playbook. We want our team themselves to be at this event to learn our the AHP playbook. Right. So it sounds like it's part expo, but then you've got the educate, you're going to, it's going to be like classroom setting too for a different portion. Yeah, it's really is classroom setting panels. Um, and, but we're going to go in a format where we start out with kind of the fundamentals, like, you know, what is a note? What's a non-performing note as you, as you asked at the outset, and then, you know, where's this opportunity? How do you meet the sellers? We'll have them all up front uh, on the, on the panel and how do you contact them? Because there's, I mean, this is, um, even if you reach the seller or broker or somebody who's doing, um, who's actually, can actually sell you loans. If you get a call, like we sometimes get calls, Hey, we're interested in buying loans. I mean, you're okay, great. But you're thinking, well, you know, I already have like these 
30 other buyers that I already work with. So you're kind of in that, you have the relationship with them. You don't know this person really knows what they're doing. So I want these relationships to be built. Many times it's best face-to-face. -face, and then people to say, okay, this, you know, hey, remember I was in Dubai Boot Camp. I want to buy some loans. Oh yeah, hey, what's going on? Yeah, let me send you out a list. And so somebody, you're actually kind of building that those, those relationships, which are really the core of this business because it's still not something where there's no loan. There is something called loan MLS, but it's not very extensive. There's no real MLS that has a whole bunch of notes on these. We're trying to build something like that in, in the future. Um, but at the moment, there's no very little transparency into what's available and what people are paying. Um, and so we're hoping to, those relationships will really, really fill that gap. You know, when I go to a lot of these seminars, it's, it's the inner networking with the actual peers, the other investors. Um, you know, I've done a lot of deals with a lot of people I've met at these things. Absolutely. There, what are, there's some relationships. What are some of the synergies that can be had? Because it, it, it seems like maybe not knowing, like the, but the note space is sort of like a solo sport, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not. Uh, I mean, there are people doing JVs and stuff with small groups of investors, but there's no, yeah, it's, um, I mean, you don't really need a team, right? You can, it's something you can do from behind from a computer, your, right? Behind a computer with <laughs> a phone. That's what you, you know, that's what you do. Eventually, you need it as you grow. You need to scale your team. You could definitely start and do quite a lot of business, one man, you know, one man, one woman behind a computer screen with a, a phone. That's how you're doing deals, and uh, you don't have a need to. The other question is, do you need a lot of money to start? The answer is really no. You can buy a loan as little as. $10,000, even less sometimes, on up, you know, 50, 100,000. Uh, and then if you, if you have 100,000 to spend, you can probably buy three or four loans. And I encourage that. These aren't all, always sure winners. There's going to be some losers in there. If we buy 100 loans, we're probably going to lose on 10. So if you spread it out over a few loans, chances are you the one that doesn't work as, as you'd hope, you know, will be mitigated by the ones that do work as you, as you expected. Yeah. Any other um, particular curriculum topics that you guys are talking sure. about? Sure. We're talking about how to connect with sellers, how much to pay. So some um, of the soft, the soft skills in there too. Yeah, sure. But then due diligence, it's a huge one. Valuation, determining what that property is worth. Uh, what, what's the situation on the property taxes? Another, it's a big deal where uh, people, it's easy to overlook significant severe tax delinquencies they haven't made their pay you know the homeowner hasn't paid their mortgage payment in five years they probably haven't paid their taxes in some cases the mortgage companies advance in other cases they haven't and maybe there's a tax certificate that's been sold so you want to identify that because those taxes if you identify it and tell the seller hey i agreed to pay you ten thousand for this loan but there's three thousand in taxes most sellers will say okay We'll take 7,000 because there's this tax delinquency out there. But if you don't find it, you're not going to get credit and you're going to get stuck with it. Uh, and it's a very common mistake and challenge. I mean, we even run into situations where you miss taxes um, occasionally. There's um, documents, collateral. What are you really getting? You know, what do all these documents mean? What does, you know, is there a note? Is the note lost? Is there an original? Uh, and what does that have, what impact does that have on the value? What impact does that have on your ability to foreclose or, or represent yourself in bankruptcy? What if you do need to go to foreclosure or the homeowner files bankruptcy? What do you do? And what are the steps and what to expect? And uh, so we'll have attorneys there who will be able to share their experiences. And I'll tell you, you know, a couple of years ago, we spent over a million dollars on legal fees and just in, just over all our loans. And it's a huge expense, can be a very huge expense. Even though we're trying to get consensual solutions, there's always gonna be reasons you need to foreclose because the homeowner's deceased. 
because there's a, a second mortgage that won't agree to a resolution because the, the family's getting divorced and can't agree to any solution. All kinds of reasons you'll have to go forward. And uh, sometimes you don't have to go all the way, but at least to prompt a resolution. And those costs can be exorbitant. So you need to, so we're gonna teach you how to manage those costs and, and understand what's really going on so you don't get, you don't pay bills that are, um, that you shouldn't be paying. Servicing, how to manage your servicer, even at HP servicing, even though we, I'm telling you, we're gonna do a great deal, you need to stay on top of this. Just like a management company, if you have a management company managing one of your Lane's apartment buildings, it's nice to get the reports and the money, but you know, what, do, what, am I, what are you looking at in those reports and what to look for and to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to. So that is, um, you know, recording the documents, recording the assignment. What if prior assignments haven't been recorded? What if there's a missing assignment? What do you do in these instances? So those are the types of things. I, I mean, really it's soup to nuts. No divesting is what we're going to share. And, and again, we, we're simply, the goal is to inspire a new breed of no investor who is looking to earn money, but also have a social impact. And uh, if we do that, I think we, I think that's, that's where we succeed. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested in going, I'm not, not looking to change investment vehicles here, but it always seems like this is just another good source for properties, whether you're just like that burst strategy guy, you know, maybe you can cherry pick the notes in Kansas city or where you live locally and you can go after those, those properties. And if they do fall into foreclosure, you can just take back the property. Although, you know, I think both you and I don't really agree with that predatory uh, type of business where you go in and, and you try and take back the home. Word on that. If you're coming to the event to say, I want to foreclose on, I want to buy notes, foreclose and buy REOs at a discount. That's okay. Um, because you're still going to learn the right lessons. But uh, the caution is if the home is vacant already, which a lot of these homes are, then you're likely going to get it back. Either they'll give you a deed in lieu or you're foreclosed on the home. So you'll get the property and probably get it at a big discount, significantly less than you would pay for it as an REO. So that's definitely a strategy that makes sense. The challenge though that happens is people buy a pool of 10 loans, half are vacant, half are occupied, and they're trying to get those five that are occupied, trying to get them to become REO. And, and where it doesn't work is if you're saying, no homeowner, I'm gonna, you need to move, you know, I'm not gonna make a mod with you. You need to uh, you need to plan to get out of here or you need to pay that $20,000. So you create an impossible situation. That's um, what happens in those situations is then the homeowner gets an attorney. And so now you're paying an attorney, they're paying an attorney because they want to stay, you want them out. It, it is not going to have a happy ending. Even if you eventually get them out, you spend so much time and money on legal fees. It's not worth it. It's better to buy those 10 loans, the, the five or whatever percentage are vacant, those you're gonna get back in all likelihood. So those, great, that's your REOs. The other five, be open. The family might not wanna stay, they might wanna take a deal loop, but if they wanna stay, you give them a mod, they make payments for six or 12 months, you sell the loan, you make a profit, you use, you know, you've made a profit in both circumstances, now you use that money and you buy another pool and you get five more vacants, five occupies, and you see where it goes. So my only, my, I guess my message to anyone who's looking to buy these loans to get cheap REOs, and that's a great strategy, is to really be prepared to do what the homeowner wants. And you will get REOs, but you also, if you get some modded loans, those can be profitable too. Right, don't force it. Just kind of go with the pitches or what the, what the loan has. The funny thing is, go with what the homeowner wants. I mean, if it's vacant, it's easy, because then the homeowner, you're just deed in lieu or REO. But if the homeowner's there, 
you it's so much better to do what they want uh, as long as they can afford it you know they if you're if they can afford to pay a payment that's going to give you a reasonable return then take the mod and uh, and be happy you're going to make some money better to pick up quick dimes than slow dollars right absolutely absolutely the trace let's talk about this bidding format you guys have it sounds pretty fun yeah, so I get, you know, I've heard about other events where people are teaching, hey, I'll teach you how to buy loans. And then, by the way, and I have some loans here to sell you. And they probably bought them at, at some price and now they're reselling them at some markup to their, to their participants. And I don't like, I mean, that's fine. But what we want to do is we're going to, we sell loans periodically. Uh, if you buy big pools, sometimes we need to liquidate some promptly. And we will um, sell them through a network, our existing network. And anyone who comes to the event will become part of our network. And then, uh, so what we're going to do to make sure that everybody knows they're getting a good deal, we're going to, two or three weeks before the event, we're going to put out a loan of a tape of loans that we own and also some of the other sellers that are coming to the event, some loans that they own. We're going to market it. People are going to bid, multiple people will bid. And then at the event, we're going to share the tape, including what other people bid and what the high bids were. And then we can look at it and you'll see like, it's going to be interact. It's kind of interesting to me was to see, you know, we're selling a loan and someone bids 40, another person bids 20, another bids 25, another bids 32 and 36. Where did all these, you know, what methodology are they coming? Are they arriving at these bids? So we're going to kind of reverse engineer the bids that were made. And then, uh, in the end, the attendees can say, well, that high bid, that $40,000, I want to match it and I'll buy the loan. And that's fine. We'll award it to the person that's at, at the event if they want to buy it. The other times they can, and we'll actually give loans to everybody. Everybody who participates will have a loan to review at, at, at worst. And at the end of the event, they decide, hey, I want to buy it or it's not for me or I, I learned something doing this due diligence process that it's not such a good price at 40. I should only be paying 30. So let that other guy buy it. Uh, those are the, um, that's what we're going to do. So we really want to walk, you know, it's always great to talk about theory, but we want to talk about step by step. Let's actually go through the motions of buying a loan and, uh, and see what that really feels and looks like, because that's when it's where you, where the real questions start. And we're going to have a whole bunch of experts in the room on every step of the way to help guide through those, um, each of those steps. Yeah. So I'm sharing the, uh, the website for you guys to check out, this is the uh, notefirebootcamp.com. Um, awesome. Uh, April 18th to, to 19th in Chicago. Um, I'll be there. You'll be there. You're on the panel. Yay. It's going to be great to see there you. There I am. Yes, awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Buck's going to be there. Buck's going to be there. And I mean, yeah. It'll be fun. It will be fun. And we want to hear, I mean, I need to learn more from you and Buck, for instance. I mean, it's amazing, but you've certainly introduced AHP a lot of investors, but also I think other people, including me, want to, in the room want to learn from you as to how did you build this network? How do you start podcasting? How are you, it's turned into kind of a, a, a tremendous means to share news and to connect with investors. You know, I, I see that I'm, I, I'm awed by by your um, your operations. So I, I want, and I think a lot of the people want to learn from it. Yeah, I did it by accident, but I've kind of figured out what I did. <laughs> uh -huh. engineer it. I think we've got like a coupon code for the guy. Simple passive is the coupon code. I think it's $200 off at this time, but um, 
I'll be there and George will be there and anything else we missed there? No, I think I encourage everybody. I mean, this is something where uh, we will actually give you, walk you step by step and how to, how to buy a note and how to buy notes and, and start a note business if that's what you want to do. And it is an opportunity just like today, the opportunities um, competitive. So the pickings are a little slimmer, but there's still opportunity. But be, if you can learn on what there is today, once the next downturn happens, the, um, that is the opportunity to really um, not only make a significant amount of money, but also uh, do a lot of social good. Uh, because any investor who's attending this will do a much better job at resolving these than any bank on or, or Wall Street um, back fund. All right, guys. Well, uh, check out the website, notebuyerbootcamp.com, and use the uh, coupon code for $200 off Simple Passive. And if you guys got any questions, uh, shoot me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com, or, uh, you know, even contact George. George, you want to get your email out there for the guys? Sure. sure. It's J-N-E-W-B-E-R-Y at A-H-P fund, F-U-N-D.com. And uh, I don't know if you've got any more books left. If you want we to if you want to send um, me your at your mailing address, don't just send me your email because we can't send it to your email. No, we did we did send out some Kindle books, I think. Sure. I know some people don't really like the physical books, but yeah, send me your mailing address and we can get a Burn Zone book out to you guys. Appreciate it, George. We'll see you in uh, April. I look forward to it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Lane. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.